This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is The Citadel Cafe, episode number 437 for Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and The Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Alistair McFly is back. You can find him at Alistair McFly on all the social media that matters. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you for having me back. And episode 437, we are getting into crazy numbers. I mean, we've been in crazy numbers for a while, but for a while. It's, it's really hitting me just how crazy those numbers are getting, which is fantastic. That runs into uh, questions that I get sometimes on stream when someone comes in and they say they, they, they listen to the podcast or they're going and they're listening to older recordings of the Citadel Cafe and they either ask me, one, do you remember when you said, and I say, nope, <laughs> unless it was last <laughs> week, no, I don't remember. And then two, uh, they'll say like, you know, have you ever talked about this movie and it's let's say it's, it's a pretty well-known science fi fiction movie or like one of the films that's come out in the last like you know 10 years and i'm just like hmm. i think so <laughs> like i don't <laughs> i'm not really sure i mean if it's a big flagship movie like star wars then yes we obviously have but if they're talking about like something very specific uh that i might not have seen or, or might not have been at the top of my my radar specifically if it's like a sci-fi show i watch more films and and stuff like that in sci-fi than i do like sci-fi television so um they and, might ask about a specific you know sci-fi series i was like ah, it, i mean and just because i haven't talked about it doesn't mean one of my guests haven't talked about it right yeah so, that's that's what i was about to to bring up is you, you you're more likely to remember your own stuff that you've personally seen yes oh for sure for sure and so the answer to that question obviously is the same thing i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, the search function on the citadelcafe.com is pretty good. I tend to tag all of the blog posts that have uh, audio associated with them so that you can go and find the topics that you're looking for. You know, you search for Captain America and you'll get episodes, more, more than likely Brock and I talking about different Avengers films over the last 10 years. But it, at least it'll g give you back some, some interesting um, results, at least get you started, right? Yeah, I was quite surprised when I added on my own website just a link to all the episodes that I've appeared in and found it quite surprising. I could just go on to the com, type in my name, and boom, there's all the episodes. So you can even search by person, which is pretty neat. Yes, yeah, I tend to tag the guests. Um, and do I have... Well, so the guest name would be in the episode description, like the little blurb, yes. you know, Joel and Alistair talk about Dune, which is what we're going to be talking about later today, folks, just kind of FYI. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> we, I need one of those big space foghorn noises for that kind of like dramatic <laughs> set the stage uh, for later on in the episode. Uh, but yeah, so, so usually you can search for Dune, you could search for like, you know, Joel and Alistair, you could search, I mean, don't search my name because it'll just give you all of them. <laughs> Um, but if you, if you search for guests that you're looking forward to, to hearing, or someone that has the same sort of like interests that you do as a listener, then you can seek that kind of stuff out, which is, which is cool. Just before, uh, we started chatting, 
we were ta- uh, live on on the show you and i were going back and forth a little bit about some new podcasting and streaming gear and you've picked up some i have yes uh, half of it has arrived the other half i'm still waiting on uh but yeah i got myself a, a new microphone and microphone arm uh, i ended up picking up the PreSonus Revelator dynamic mic, and I am so glad to be getting a dynamic mic now uh, versus a condenser. So I'll be wanting for a while. So I've always thought condensers were pretty good for podcasting, but you find that yours isn't. The, each has its own pros and cons, because condenser mics traditionally will pick up a much better range, so you get a more natural voice sound to it. Uh, you have it's, it's great for singers, it's great for musicians... But it will also pick up a lot of the room. Uh, you'll be able to hear a lot of stuff in, in the background. So like if you've got a fan going on or a vehicle drives by, anything like that. Condenser mics are really good at picking up all of that nuance. With the dynamic mic, it only picks up what's directly in front of it. And that's pretty much it. So anything further than just a little bit away from the mic, it doesn't pick anything up. And so especially for broadcast situations, that's where dynamic mics tend to be better um, but I think it does limit the the kind of vocal range that they can pick up but with the amount of noise that I have especially being in an apartment building uh, I've I've kind of been wanting a dynamic now the one that I've been using though is a Samsung C03U uh, which is marketed as a podcasting mic uh, the C01U is another model that they have that's a more budget one and this one I've had for 16 years now so it's it's done me well. I'm I'm on a Yeti that's ten plus years old. Yeah, and I mean these things last for ages. The the one thing that I do like with the Samsung is it does uh, an omnidirectional pickup as well, or bidirectional, so it can pick up just in front and behind, or a whole three sixty, or just in front. And um, so it'll try and reduce noise from other directions. When I initially got it, I was uh, using it to record with myself and Trev, who is now my co-host on Long Range Sensors. And we would have the microphone in front of both of us, so in between us. So it was great for that. So it was the right mic for the time. Doing things where everything's kind of done remotely now, because I can't just nip over to London in the UK uh, once a, a month. That's a little bit more challenging. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and just a, getting a dynamic mic is a, is a cheaper option. So my Yeti has a, a cardioid mode that does the same sort of thing as a dynamic mic, not obviously as well as a engineered dynamic mic that just does mm. that. Um, it also has bi-directional 360 and stereo. I've never found the bi-directional worked very well because way back when I used to do um, podcasts where I would do it with the one person in the same room as me, the other side of the mic always had a much lower gain even on bi-directional, which I always thought, well, that's dumb. Right. Like, why would you have it be different? Shouldn't it be the same on both sides? Uh, so what I ended up doing was doing a stereo recording that I would then mix down to mono so that both myself and my guest who were on the left and right of the mic would come out of both ears. Um, and well, I mean, the plus size thing there would be like, it would just, it would be a smaller file as well. Uh, this would have been 10 plus years ago. So it just made things a lot easier, but Mm. Um, I, I've enjoyed, uh, the Yeti, you know, I ended up buying another one. I bought a Yeti X for the streaming computer. And again, I like that. I've had to tweak some settings on it. 
um, it wasn't so much that they sound good out of the box. It's more like they have a lot of potential. Like they have a lot of sensitivity because they've got four pickups in them. And between the the Yeti settings, uh, I didn't use the Logitech, which now owns Blue Microphone. I didn't use the Logitech equalizer because I found, as I very often do on the PC, that the Logitech software that you're supposed to run in the background while you're running your, you know, using your Yeti X is a hog on resources. So I just don't run it. Uh, and instead I use Streamlabs OBS, well, Streamlabs desktop, I guess, technically now to uh, filter out a couple of the background noises, things like keyboard clicks, fan noises, things like that. And I nice. find it pretty good. I do find that it picks up a lot of, of plosives, even though I've got pop filters on both mics, I find that the Yetis are pretty sensitive to that, which is weird because I know that Yetis are often used for, for singing. Like people that are musicians will use Yetis all the time. And it's just like, I, I don't understand why they'd be so sensitive to that kind of stuff. But um, the other thing that I find with the, the Yeti is that um, to your point about them picking up all the different things, it won't pick up a fan. Like if I have a fan in, in the next room pointing in here to keep it cool, it won't hear that. But if a Blue Jay shows up in the backyard that's really high pitched, it'll it'll get through uh, 100%. <laughs> it's not loud, but it certainly comes through where I'll hear a bus going by and think, oh gosh, that's loud. And you won't hear it at all on the recording, right? But, mm. but the Blue Jay absolutely will. Unexpected guest. Surprise yeah, guest. Ex exactly, exactly. <laughs> Canadian, at least, at the very least, right? Yeah. Um, I, I should probably add that I'm not using the new mic right now, partly right, because I have to go through those settings and and tweak things a little bit. Uh, that's that's the thing you can you can get the most the best most expensive microphone in the world. This is actually a more budget version that competes with some a bit more higher end, uh, brand new. It only came out like a month ago, um, which is really neat. But yeah, it's out of the box, it sounds brilliant. But there's still always tweaking that you need to do. Well, yeah, you've got to tweak it to your environment. Like, what's your room look like? Like, does it have a lot of hard surfaces? Are you dealing with a lot of reverb? You know, like uh, tweaking it yeah. to your voice and all that kind of stuff. I agree. Um, I, I'd i like to get more into that kind of gear. But at the same time, I feel like I'm just adding another point of failure. Like, all of the professional podcasters that I look up to are using XLR mics, and well, which means they have a mixer that they have to go through. And it's like, yeah. oh, do I really want to go through that? Yes, I know that it'll sound better in the end, but I, f I feel that plug and play USB mics are to the point now where for clarity, I don't, I don't need, and I don't necessarily want to sound like I'm on terrestrial radio. You know what I mean? Like, I feel mm -hmm. like there's a certain level of podcasting audio quality that once you hit it, I don't necessarily think your listeners are going like, oh, well, you sound great, but, you know, like as long as they can hear you <laughs> and you're not peaking and like really having a poor audio experience, then then I think that you're, you know, you're doing OK. Uh, I'd much yeah. rather, you know, put time into content than, than into new gear. But um, well, to, to your thing on XLR, like I was looking at an XLR and, and for those who aren't aware, it's basically just the, the traditional type of microphone connection. Uh, it's a very sort of uh, large, thick, round cable connector um versus something just plug and play like usb um now pre-sonus who make this microphone they have one of the audio interfaces that they make for their xlr mics and they've actually effectively built that into this one so it's actually built in so the microphone is handling all of that itself 
before you go into USB, and then they just have an app that lets you configure that. And so my computer's not doing any resources. The mic is basically handling all of that itself, nice. which is pretty neat. And so I've been playing around. And one of the things I found most interesting about it is that it has a few effects built in, including a ring modulator. And a ring modulator basically chops up the sound of the audio, and that's how they produce the noise of the Dalek on Doctor Who, and also the Cybermen as well. They kind of tweak that around. So I, I've been <laughs> having a lot of fun playing around, and, and I know that you know this because I sent you an audio recording yeah. of uh, one of my early tests. Uh, still a lot of tweaking to do, but I, I can make myself sound like a Dalek at the push of a button, which uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with. For sure. Uh, I, I like the look of the new mic. It doesn't look like it's super big either. Oh, no, no, no. It's a, it's a really good size. I, I love this. It comes with a little stand, which takes up no room at all. And that will be quite useful if I end up doing live streams of me repairing Game Boys, which is something I'm, I'm not committed to yet, but I am considering streaming that on Twitch and the stand it comes with will certainly help with that. There's also a mic arm that I've ordered. That's the bit that I'm still waiting on. It's by a company called Ava Media. And again, this only came out about a month ago. And it's a really innovative streamer arm because a lot of them will be pretty high up. You get ones that will go over a monitor. You've got ones which are a low one, which could go under a monitor. This one does all of those things. It is basically like an all-in-one and you can use it not just for a microphone you can use it for a camera or a phone so i could even set that up for my camera uh, as well so there's going to be a lot of versatility there but where it's really useful is that my desk is terrible i love my desk it is a big desk it's wide it's deep um but there's not really anywhere for a, a mic arm to actually mount to other than the very back of the desk because there's no sort of overhangs, no kind of lips to, to the edge of it. And the problem with most mic arms is that they, the stand goes backwards before it comes forwards, just because right. of the way it has to support itself. So the only way for me to fit a traditional mic arm would be to pull my desk out to the point that I just wouldn't have any room at all. And so I was looking for, like, there must be something that I can get that just clamps on and just, you know, can can bend around and move around and stuff. And and this does that perfectly. So didn't exist at the time I was looking for it, but I was like, that must be something. And these guys have come up with the exact thing that I was wanting. So I was very happy uh, to see that that was there and some great reviews on it as well. So uh, as soon as that comes, then I'll be able to get set up properly and use that for my podcasting and streaming. Nice. I, I have, um, arms from Niwar, I think is the brand name, just N-E-W-A-R on, um, on Amazon. And they're cheap. Like it's basically like, uh, a Luxart lamp arm, but instead of a light bulb on the yeah. end of it, it's essentially, you know, a spot that you can thread a microphone. Um, they're made specifically to work with things like the Yeti and, and other small USB mics. Hmm. So they don't hold a lot of weight. Your mic weight will, will, determine whether or not the arm can handle it but what i like about them is that you can um tighten the the screws uh they've got little hand tightened plastic knobs so you, once you've got it in a position that you like you can tighten it up and it's not going to go anywhere which mm. is great 
Uh, they are, however, yeah. something that will pick up desk vibrations and send it up the, the, the boom. I had to add a shock mount to my Yeti X on the um, the gaming rig because, of course, more active keyboard stuff happening on a, on a PC with a gaming keyboard, the vibrations were going up the microphone. And it's still, the I got a cheap, uh, I don't remember the brand of the shock mount, but it, it works, but it didn't work well enough. And so I had hmm. to also adjust some things with the, um, I can't remember what kind of low frequency thing I had to put on it, but there's a filter I had to add into Streamlabs desktop in order to, to handle it. But um, I noticed, I don't remember what stream it was, but I did end up adjusting the mic. And because they've got springs in them, they're not like a, a, a silent yeah. tension arm. Um, you'll hear the springs adjust uh, on stream once in a while if I move it or if I bang it by accident. I've done it on this show before. I tend to fi try to find them and, and cut them out because I'll, I'll write down when they happen. But I've definitely been talking with my hands excitedly about something and then all of a sudden you hear wang because <laughs> oh, I hit the spring I, I, or I nicked it or something. The, the, the thing for me was when I switched from earphones to headphones and I moved the position of it because like I said, trouble mounting it to my desk. I actually have it mounted to my bedside table and it is coming over my shoulder from behind me. And so I'd moved it to there and then I got new headphones as well, uh, the over ears rather than just in ears. And every time I would turn around, I'd accidentally knock it with the side of my headphones. It's like rats, that's going to annoy people on stream um, and makes quite a loud clattering noise. But the, the Luxo lamp, description is is pretty accurate for for what it is i i saw the ones that you had when i came over to visit the other night and uh, right they're, they're just slightly smaller versions of the one that i have at the moment yeah i like them because they're small um i do have to attach mm. them to the front of the desks but i have six foot long tables for desks so i can attach it off to my left or right um, what i like about them is that when i'm done i can kind of fold them up out of the way and go back to using the computer with everything right in front of me and it doesn't affect my workflow. So uh, I, I do enjoy that. It's a little bit in the way sometimes on the um, on the gaming rig because of where I have the iPad for running my streams. But hopefully that's going to change because uh, the other piece of gear that I'm looking at picking up is a uh, stream deck from Elgato. Uh, and uh, these are pretty common um, boards that you'll see a lot of streamers use. And um, I've been using the iPad to do things like switch scenes and... Um, you know, go to be right back screens and start and stop advertisements, stuff like that. And that's fine. Um, I'm under using the iPad because of how the iPad is set up to do that. I tend not to move the iPad and use it for anything else. So <laughs> I, sh which I should, like I should, the iPad should be living in the living room, perhaps maybe not on my, on my gaming studio setup. If, so if only they were portable. Right. If only, you if, could, only if, if only you could pick it up and move it around. Right. I mean, you'd think <laughs> yeah, that I would do that. The design to use um, with one hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the problem is like, if I start to do stuff and move, move it around, then I have to like sign back into Twitch whenever I go to stream. It just, it adds just another thing for me to do. Anyway, point mm. being that the, the stream deck is, a, it's like usually there are about 15 programmable LED buttons. Uh, you have one, I believe. Um, I do. I love yeah. my stream deck. Yeah, and so I'm looking at doing some cool stuff. I want to try to get into video transitions for the stream. Um, it's one part I think they're cool. The other part, I just kind of want to learn the skill set. Like I just want to learn how to do that and and hmm. apply that. I'd like to, um, when eventually I want to branch out and play more games in Minecraft, I want to be able to quickly adjust, you know, 
colors or things like that so that I can have maybe not a, a, a stream setup that's geared so much towards a specific game, but maybe just something that's a little bit more of just like you're watching Joel's channel, like that kind of a feel. And yeah, it's... as an artist and someone that's an animator or used to be an animator once upon a time, uh, I've drawn my own emotes. Uh, I've got access to animated emotes, which I'm hoping to get at soon. And one of the things that I was thinking of uh, was adding some sort of animated characters or a little bit more of a celebration that would happen on screen when someone raids or someone decides to donate or uh, sub on Twitch. And I thought it would be cool if I could press a button on the stream deck and have one of those animations play on screen. That's if I can't tie it to automatically happen when someone subs or whatever so i'm not sure 100 on that but oh yeah, uh, the, there's a... you could do both um we, right we can talk after the show on details on the automated side of that cool uh so the, the thing about the thing about that with um stream labs i do find that they don't give you a lot of flexibility in terms of like the size of something do you have to use their window can you make your own so there's there's a few things i need to look into but mm. uh I have this little animated character, which is me as a cartoon, a little chibi Joel. And I want to try and do some different expressions and different stuff like that. And I just think we can really start to have some fun with it, especially because I don't have a lot of things tied to um, channel point rewards on Twitch, which for folks that don't know, those are the free points that you accumulate by watching a stream. So the longer that you watch, the more points that you have. And streamers will have fun things that you can redeem your points for. Our friend Steven uh, will redeem... I don't remember the the amount, but uh, he'll do a silly voice for two minutes, you know, on yeah, stream. Yeah, it's two two thousand channel points for right. Tuesday's Child, as he calls it, with the uh, Igmund. Yeah, I'm not and, going uh, to do that. Uh, I'm not going to do silly voices, <laughs> but I think it would be really cool to tie like redeem these amount of points, which will then allow you to trigger a command, which would maybe make a silly animation. So one of the memes on my channel right now is because I use so many spruce trapdoors in um in the, the medieval town that i'm building in minecraft that there's like we built this city on spruce trap doors it's like a little joke mm. and i just think it'd be really funny if my little character then like held up uh a spruce trap door you know like uh like the ghetto blaster from say anything like that kind of a situation um, <laughs> i just think like i think it would be really funny so like stuff yeah. like that that i want to do it's not necessarily animated but i need to be able to switch it and i can't control it on my own like i need it to be a, a single button press then that animation plays and then it goes away so that that kind well, of stuff th this is one of the really good things about the stream deck is that you have buttons for individual tasks but you also have buttons that can automate a workflow so you can have it so that a single button can make something appear you can add a delay and then have it to turn that object off again so you can do all those kind of things cool. quite easily. Um, I have it where I have, because I don't like having a camera on me, I use a Memoji from my phone. So I'm capturing from my phone. So you get a 3D animated version of my head. But what I found was that in Minecraft, you can be quite emotive by going into third person mode and showing your Minecraft character. And it's a very different kind of uh, conveying of emotion. But when you've got both heads on screen, it doesn't really work. So I have a button that will automatically take me into third person mode and turn off the emoji. And then when I go when I go back into first person, I press it again and it 
takes me back into first person and brings the emoji back. So you can have it trigger all of these things. So it's pretty powerful with what you can do. How easy is it to reassign a button? Like if you decided that you want that in your top left and you're like, "Mm, actually, I would prefer that to be two buttons down. Like, is it hard to transfer that from one button to the next? It is drag and drop. You just you just oh, wow. drag it over. If there's an existing button there, they just switch places. Nice. So this yeah. that's the nice thing about coming to these after this is like the the Stream Deck two or three or whatever version they're on. They've they've obviously ironed out a lot of the kinks. Yeah. The the one criticism I have is that the second you click off the window and it disappears, like you have to go back to the menu bar to bring it back again. It doesn't. It's not a persistent window, uh, which is a little bit frustrating. But uh, they do have a free trial for the phone app, and it is definitely worth playing around with that because one doesn't cost you anything for that trial. You can use it to to set everything up, and then if you decide actually this works really cool and I want to buy the physical one, then all you do is you select a drop down just to say which device that setup that you've made goes to. So you just select from the drop down instead of your phone, you just select the Stream Deck. All the work you've already done is straight onto the Stream Deck. Nice. So you're not wasting time like setting things up on the phone and then going, oh, I'm going to have to set this all up again. Um, so that is that was a really seamless transition when I moved over. And the only reason, because I, I used the app for about a year. The only reason I transitioned over was because I wanted to do the Memoji thing. So suddenly my phone was in use for something else. So, right. And I ran out of devices. <laughs> You found the phone it was easy to use as a physical device as as a as a Stream Deck like app thing. Oh, like, yeah. It, yeah. It it was easy. I must say though, having the physical one, having the actual physical tactile buttons is a godsend. And a little bit like how on a physical keyboard on the F and J keys, there's a little uh nub that's oh, raised. Nice. So you can mm-hmm. kind of feel you have that in the middle button as well. So you, you can even just by feeling, you can feel where the center is to uh, to kind of go from from there. Um, I've I've also found it really useful not just for streaming, though. When I'm editing podcasts in Logic Pro, that is an app that I'm nice. not that familiar with. There are so many keys where I would accidentally press the wrong button, and suddenly my podcast is ruined, or a window has appeared or disappeared, and I have no idea where to get it back. Things pop up, and it's like I don't even know what this is. It looks cool that Logic can do it. Doesn't apply to me. So I push my keyboard away and I use the Stream Deck exclusively as my keyboard. And the only things that are on there are just the shortcuts I use. And not only that, it means I don't even have to remember what the keyboard shortcuts are, of which there are tons in an app like that. Oh, yeah, of course. Single button and like a three key shortcut is just right there. So you can apply it to anything and it will automatically switch to it based on the app that you have. So I have it set up so that the moment that Logic is in the foreground, it switches to that set. I switch to a different app or switch to that set uh, as well. So it can be dynamic based on the actual app that you're in. So if you hate remembering keyboard shortcuts or there's just too many and you know you're going to keep making mistakes all the time, it is brilliant just for simplifying what you're working with. Yeah, that could that could help because I, I don't know a lot of Windows commands. And granted, I don't do very much production work on the gaming PC. It's mostly just streaming mm-hmm. and, and gaming. Um, I do all my editing on on the iMac, so um, I'd have to physically, I think, move it and plug it into the iMac if I wanted to do that. But I'm also so far into the Adobe suites that I kind of know the the hotkeys anyway, so that's hmm. not a big deal for me. However, there are a lot of like Windows shortcuts. Like for example, my Windows screenshot stopped working, and I can't get it to work again. It's driving me crazy. 
And so we, um, having something where I can say, look, open this app and take a screenshot or switch me into screenshot mode by pressing a button on a stream deck. It's it's overkill, for I understand, for what the stream deck does. I'm really mm-hmm. buying it for, for stream stuff, or, or um, at least that's what I'm thinking about doing it. I'm pretty sure I've talked myself into getting it during this podcast anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's really cool the more that i learn about streaming and like where i want to take it it's really interesting and fun the different like skill sets and things that you can unlock like i'm also looking at adobe character animator which is a new piece of software um without getting into detail because we got to move on it was used to create the president cartoon that was on the stephen colbert show um oh right right but that it's it, that's like a puppet thing. So like it, it uses your face like an emoji or a mimoji to to animate the face. But if you want to make them happy, sad, or move their arms to a different position, you have to touch a button on a keyboard, sort of like puppeting a Muppet, but it's digital. Right. And so th- I can't do that and stream at the same time. Like my brain would explode. So <laughs> that's why I want the automated thing. Or if I can't do automated or maybe both, like maybe have some celebratory animations that happen when someone subscribes, but if someone says something really dumb or makes a really like, you know, eye rolling dad joke in the chat, it would be hilarious to have like a little animation response to like deadpan stare, <laughs> you know, just kind of mm-hmm. like, really, really Elkhorn? That's that's where you're going? Uh, yes, I'm ge- I'm putting Elkhorn on blast right now for no good reason other than mm-hmm. that's the first name that came to mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that kind of stuff is is fun. And I mean, uh, just small plug, uh, both Alistair and I stream on uh, Twitch. It's Alistair McFly on Twitch and it's Joel Duggan on Twitch for me. Both of us stream from the Citadel Minecraft server, but we both have really fun communities and they're uh, a good group of people and it's funny. Like I'll look over at chat sometimes and just crack up because of what's going on. So mm. uh, there's always some sort of strange meme or, um, you know, Cosmic is giving one of us health or something. Uh, so uh, worth checking out, folks. The links are all on the thecitadelcafe.com for folks that are, are, are wondering, uh, which reminds me, I forgot to plug your podcast at the start of the show. Uh, those links are also on the thecitadelcafe.com or you can just go to longrangecensors.com and listen to the Star Trek Retrospective podcast. We have an email this week that I'm not going to read, which sounds weird, but I wanted to give Jordan P a shout out uh, for his email about books. Uh, the reason why we're not going to read it or get into it this week is because... Alistair hasn't read anything in a while. And what I have read recently has not been sci-fi or fantasy. So uh, we're going to wait until I've got either Brockett or Lou on the show, Jordan, to tackle your email because they both read more often than I do. And so I think you'll get a better response and maybe even have some book recommendations from them. Um, You could look up some search stuff on the website maybe um, and see if we've talked about other books in the past, but uh, that's just for in the meantime. Uh, absolutely, we'll get to your email. We don't get very many here on the Citadel Cafe, so I'm happy to get them, happy to file it, and just say, you know, save for, for Brockett or Lou. So that'll be sometime in April. We'll, we'll get to that. But thanks very much for sending it in. I uh, very much appreciate it. This week, we are going to talk about Dune, uh, the one from 2021 that came out in November last year. And uh, I finally had a chance to watch it. It was on HBO Max around Christmas time, I think, in the U.S., but it did not come to HBO uh, here in Canada, which is uh, exclusively on Crave or or Bell Access uh, here in Canada until March 18th. I watched it pretty much the day it came out. And um, I will just let people know that my entire review of this film is going to be tainted 
by the absolute garbage stream that Crave provided. It was choppy. It was 1080p, which means there's no reason for it to be choppy. The fact that this movie was in 1080p is just sacrilege, considering the amount of work that went into it uh, and how it's Mm. supposed to be experienced. And the sound mix was also terrible. Now, I've heard that the sound mix was challenging even in the theaters, but on a home system, it was awful. I was constantly interrupting my flow of watching this movie to turn it up to hear what the hell was going on and then turning it down for fear that my neighbors were going to want to murder me with a wooden spoon because the bass and the reverb would just like shake my couch. I'm just like, well, I had to turn it up because the last conversation was a whisper for five minutes. And then they cut to like, oh, now we're outside with like this giant spaceship and the space foghorn just rattles the windows. <laughs> You're just like, good <laughs> Lord. Like it must have, you saw this in theaters, right? I did, yes. It must have shaken your colon. <laughs> that, that, I, I felt it a little bit, yes. Um, <laughs> there was a little tingle. It's, yeah, it, it was pretty loud. And yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like the, the voices were really quiet. But then you have just this big booming noise coming from Hans Zimmer's score. And... Uh, Vanity Fair actually did a really good interview with Hans Zimmer and you know to his credit there is a lot of new techniques that he's using Uh, that particular foghorn type sound he said he wanted it to sound like a Tibetan warhorn he says he doesn't believe a Tibetan warhorn exists and I would likely assume that's the case Um, but interesting that that's you know just the kind of sound he was going for and he said that when he approached it he didn't want to approach it like a lot of sci-fi films where there's big orchestral scores he wanted to attack it like he was a 13 year old teenager again so lots of drums not quite the uh the kind of orchestral sound that we're used to but even with all these new techniques and some of the, the very interesting use of instruments and vocals all mixed in really good uh, you know, video from Vanity Fair on YouTube on it. I still don't like it. That that whomping boom noise from the Tibetan warhorn is. Uh, it's. I found it too overpowering, and I think just used too much and repetitive. Personally, like yes, n- that, that's not, right. yeah, too much. Yeah, not not used just for dramatic effect. I mean, sure, if there's a spaceship the size of a city, then sure, hit it. Why not? Like it's sci-fi. I get it. It's big. It makes it sound big, but like. Mm. I've been in a desert. I've done lots of hiking in the desert. And the most profound thing about it is that you can't hear anything. There's no noise. Like if it's windy, maybe, but like you really can't hear anything because it's so quiet. There's no cars. There's no white noise. There's no planes, nothing. And not even water. Yeah. And there's, (laughs) there's, there's scenes in Dune that you're just kind of like, what you want to feel is like space and silence hmm. and instead you get this big wah and you're just like but <laughs> where is that coming from <laughs> like so it sounds like a sound effect it doesn't sound like a score and i and i think yeah. that that's kind of where um where i do the line i don't remember who did the score for arrival but it had a very similar approach but it worked in that film i thought it it hmm. helped that film um now there is some music in dune that i thought was good i can't remember exactly when like at what point in the film and i guess i should warn people now we're going to get into some spoilers um but usually it's whenever paul atreides is having like a vision 
of um, uh, Zendaya's character. And he's seeing this, you know, pretty girl in the dunes of, of, of Arrakis. Uh, and mm. uh, there's usually like some sort of, I don't want to say tribal, but there's like, there's a vocal piece to it. And it's the, it's the part that's in the trailer that kind of sells yeah. like the kind of very, it has a very Arabian sort of feel to it. Very, um, we'll say Middle Eastern just in general. And I like that. I thought that was good. Uh, but hmm. most of the time I was just feeling assaulted by the thing. And again, <laughs> it, a lot, a lot of my dislike of the experience has to do with the streaming experience, not so much the film. Um, I didn't love the film, but it didn't make me angry in the same way that the streaming and the sound did. Um, overall, hmm. I thought it was pretty slow. Like this, there's a couple of exciting moments, but most of the time it was pretty like even the conversations between characters were slow and whispered. You don't get a lot of heated exchanges every now yeah. and again, there was something, but very, very little uh, happened in that light. Um, you get rewarded for your patience with these panoramic location shots and cool sci-fi ornithopter moments. Uh, but the bulk of the story is just whispered in hushed conversations between people that I was struggling to hear. Um, some things about that were cool. I really enjoyed the sign language that they used between Paul and his mom, uh, mm -hmm. Lady Jessica. I thought that was neat. I loved that they made it very clear what was happening. They gave you subtitles, and like I really, I th other moments were cool. Like when she was signaling her captains of the guard to say like prepare for violence, like stuff like that. Like I thought that was was well done, and better than and more unique than them dropping into a different language like having the actor say something similar to how like you know in lord of the rings they speak elvish and then they put up subtitles that kind of a thing uh i thought the the hand signs were more unique and an interesting as much as i didn't like the booming sounds it was an interesting diversion from it right because of course it's dead silent when they do it and i thought that that was mm. was cool um but yeah the the choice for having everyone being so whispered i felt made it hard to hear them and feel the importance of the scenes. There are things that I missed watching the film because I just got tired of rewinding and, and throwing up subtitles and being like, what the hell did they just say? Like no clue, you know? And so that was a, that was a problem. Um, what yeah. did you think of like the, the story, like the plot overall? Uh, I found it tiresome. I think it's probably the, the best way to describe it. I am glad and grateful that they didn't just have like to be continued at the end that they did actually start it off by saying it's dune part one off the bat i remember that being a thing and so you kind of you accept that this is not a complete story yeah but you kind of you spend what is it like two hours two and a half hours something like that and you get to the end and barely anything's happened they also build up zendaya a lot in this so she's obviously going to have more impact in the second one because there was diddly squat with her in this first one you know and so i kind of expected that they would at least like that would be the big crescendo that there'd be at least a massive scene with her and you just kind of meet her and then that's it so i i felt like for the amount of time you invest in it there are, as you, as you said, and I, I think you put it beautifully, that there's some great panoramic scenes, there's some great visuals. But for me, I just felt that there was just so little actually happening that, 
you, you know, it's like going into a meeting and thinking this could have been an email. I, I almost think that it would have worked better as a mini series in a way, just for the the pacing. With a mini series, you could have had like the setup episode. You could have had like the invasion of the of the Har- uh, the Harkonnen episode. Um, yeah. All that kind of stuff, like that. That that would have. I think you're right. I think a miniseries. But didn't they try that? Like, wasn't there like a? a there was back in two thousand, two thousand yeah, or something like that. But I mean, but back then it wouldn't have been that good. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been that good back then because of just effects and things like that. I, on one hand, like a series would be good, but like a series, you've got to be Disney, you know, or or someone of that <laughs> size, you know, like Amazon, yeah, to to do a series budget, like yeah. this to have the budget for it. Um, but yeah, I I I agree with you on the visuals. I think that the and that's one of the reasons I was so mad that it was in 1080p, like. I know that Crave has some things in 4K. I have yet to find them. I was talking with a friend who's a developer about that particular thing because it is available in Crave, or on Crave, I should say, um, when you view it on the Apple TV. Their Apple TV app supports 4K. They do say that the Roku, which is what you're using, does support 4K for some content, but it seems to be some different content. The fact that it was choppy as well, uh, my developer friend was saying that that could be a bunch of issues. It could be that Crave just don't have a cache of the content um, uh, on the local exchange. And so it's having to contend with other traffic on that backbone. Um, it could be that it just wasn't getting a good connection. So it's falling back to a lower sample rate. So there's a lot of different stuff, but especially when Bell only caters for Canada, unlike somewhere like Disney Plus, for example, that's catering globally. And Although Roku is, uh, I think they've got a higher market share in Canada, just be, you know, just because it is a, a, a cheaper service. Uh, partly, one of the other things he was mentioning was um, that having a device that's aimed more at a lower budget market means that the priority may not be there for their development team and whatever development constraints that team may have. Um, but it it's also hard to justify that when you're kind of looking at um, something that costs $20 a month. Exactly. That is, that is definitely a, a massive impact. There was, uh, there was even a Reddit thread I was seeing where somebody was saying the exact same thing as yourself with how the quality is often poor. Uh, they're saying that it's rife with low bit rates, low resolution, stereo-only audio, frame judder, all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, and it's when you're pairing it up with a price tag that's pretty high, it's harder to stomach, even if you can understand that there are t- likely technical or uh, resource issues behind certain decisions there. And it's not a fun experience when it's a, a movie of this scale. No, and that's the thing. Like, you want to have a good home theater experience. And I know I can get it because I've watched things like Endgame on Disney+. Plus right hmm. now i know disney plus is much different and much larger not larger than roku and, and crave but like we're talking about hbo here you know like i just i feel like there should be something and i know that there's there's just a lot of different factors that come down but i, hmm. I think it's it's for me i think that just i feel like there should be a little bit more of an equilibrium across the streaming experience by now and the fact that we don't have it, it just feels that there's other factors at play that are not in the best interests of the viewing experience, whether that be, you know, 
bottom line, you know, cheaper, make things cheaper. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, the Roku's, you know, Roku also has a lot of um, skews. Like, I mean, there's how many different types of TVs are there, right? That have a different version of Roku. Like who knows, right? Plus there's the standalone Roku boxes. Yeah. And when, when they're saying that they support 4K on Roku, we, we don't know if that's as a, a, a standard thing or if that's only select devices and Crave's website doesn't go into any more detail on that. So it could yeah. be that just the particular Roku setup that you have isn't supporting the 4K stream, um, which which means that for you, the price of entry to get 4K isn't just that $20. It's getting an additional uh, piece of hardware, whether that's another Roku device that's separate or an Apple TV or something else your price of entry suddenly goes up a lot more. So to get back into the meat of the film, uh, I, I like Zendaya, but she's barely in it. Uh, yeah. I like, I liked what I saw of her. She seems to be pretty on par with what I've seen of her in, in Spider-Man films where she's basically mm. kind of like matter of fact, kind of like tell it like it is smart ass sort of comments and stuff. Um, but all of the Fremen seem to be like that. So it's not necessarily like a typecast thing. Uh, but yeah. I liked it. I thought I thought her presence was was good. Uh, I um, I don't want to judge Timothy Chalamet too harshly because I've not seen him in anything else. But I don't get the Same. hype in Dune. Um, he's pretty bland. That could be the character. That could be the direction. That could be his choice. I don't know. Um, I don't necessarily lay it at his feet, but I'm definitely tired of these broody young male protagonist types that I just want to tell them to stand up and speak up. Like it just, it doesn't suit the story at all. Uh, And it just makes it difficult to either identify with and or understand the character motivation when they have one emotion, (laughs) like which is (laughs) brooding, you know, the entire time. So yeah, I, I didn't really get all the, all the hype, but again, I've not seen, Chalamet and anything else. Um, the one character that I was really invested in was Duncan Idaho. It's also the only time you see Paul Atreides light up is when um, Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa, um, enters the scene. And you can tell that it's like a big brother, kind of like the the fatherly figure that doesn't have the fatherly pressure because his his father, played by um, Jason, uh, not, not Jason Isaacs, um, Oscar Isaacs, um, is, um, is like, is he's the king of the Atreides, Lord Atreides. I think I remember what his title is. Um, but there's a lot of pressure on, on Paul because he's, he's essentially a prince. So dealing with Duncan, it's more of like a, a buddy, buddy situation. And Jason Momoa brings the same kind of Jason Momoa energy that you would expect he would bring to any film. Um, and he's really good. He goes from, he goes from being like badass to, boisterous military to soft-spoken political um respecting culture like he's is a really cool character for um for jason momoa and i'm pissed that he's dead <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like i don't have like the one thing that i was grabbing onto it's not going to be in part two because he died helping paul atreides escape and i just like God, why um it's the same thing with oscar isaacs great actor thought he was great in the role but also died. And you're just kind of like, <laughs> the trailer is nothing but the star spangled banner of like, come for the epic of Dune. And these people are only in it for the first two acts. 
like what you know or not even that because this is probably like act one and a half for um for the film as a whole because it's part mm. one right yeah uh other surprises were um stellan skarsgård i didn't realize he was in it uh i thought he was great as baron vladimir mm. harkonnen uh by the way I grew up playing the Dune video game and I've been mispronouncing Harkonnen as Harkonnen my entire life. So I'm trying <laughs> to say it right on the podcast <laughs> and I'm pausing and correcting my brain every time I say it. So, uh, and it makes sense when you see it spell, you're like, oh yeah, no, I was totally pronouncing it wrong. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I really enjoyed um, the way that they did the Baron uh, different than the, the 70s film, but uh, different in a cool way. It was the one time in the film that I felt that the sound suited and amplified the scene. The bass rumble when his cybernetic spine would come on and lift him off the ground made him intimidating. Like it was, it felt like, it felt like it was vibrating inside of him. It had that like bone deep feel. And I was like, like it just, he's gross anyway. But, but I thought it was great. I didn't, I didn't even recognize him at first. Cause he's got a lot of prosthetic makeup on to make him look like super fat and stuff. And yeah, and that, that whole thing where he's kind of levitating is, is probably one of the biggest standout scenes for me. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, and, and he has some other really cool moments that just, they really do a good job of showing you that he is the boss applesauce for whatever reason and and people respect him and he is just enjoying the wealth and gluttony of being on top of his of his um people right um mm. and they're them being a very violent military kind of like definitely um i'm not sure what you want to call it like not totalitarian but they're just they're not nice people they're essentially the bad guys um that unfortunately is is um kind of crossed with dave batista uh as um glassu ruban uh and it's dave batista slash drax like i can't there's no, he, he doesn't really bring a lot to that role um part of that could be the dialogue it's a lot of like just straight military speak and then a lot of yelling mm-hmm. and screaming and so like you just think drax like he doesn't really and there's not a lot of makeup on him he's such a distinct looking person that um when he's bald it doesn't matter what color he is he just looks like batista slash drax whereas i've seen him in like family comedies not that i've watched the movie but in trailers i'm just like oh wow that's batista with like hair and glasses that's weird (laughs) you know uh and and i think it he he pulls off that look and and looks very different um in those films than he does in in this um anybody else for you stand out as like either a a good role or a, a role that you're just like i don't understand why they were cast that way i really liked rebecca ferguson uh, in this and she was playing yeah, as um was it lady jessica yeah it was yeah she she was fantastic in it and is probably uh probably one of the other sort of few ones which i i really really liked um i'm there was a couple of other characters but it's been because i saw this at the theater when it came out so um i'm i'm struggling to remember uh, a lot of the uh, the nuances from a lot of the characters. Um, I, I remember that Javier Bardem was in there, and uh, I thought he was kind of cast okay. I mean, I haven't seen much of Javier Bardem's work. Uh, the main thing I know him from is the James Bond franchise. 
I didn't recognize him at first. And I think it's because Bardem is a chameleon. Yeah. I think that's why I've probably seen him in more films than I realize. Not only does he look different in, in his roles, because he'll like cut his hair short, shave his, his beard and his mustache, and then dye his hair blonde, you know, mm. or he'll be in like Bond where he's got like these, they mess him up with like prosthetics and stuff and that kind of thing. And yeah. um, I, I find that he's um, he's usually taking things that are uncomfortable roles so he's really good in them, but then he's also, he makes you uncomfortable to the point where you almost want to, ha he want, you want to look away. And so you're affected by his work, but then you don't remember him <laughs> that it was him, <laughs> right? Because he looks so different, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I, yeah, I, I loved his performance. I, I liked the way that he portrayed the the leader of the fremen uh what's the guy's name still stillgar stillgar and hmm. and he yeah i liked him the moment he he walked in like he's he's the king of the fremen he's the leader but like there's nothing regal about him like it's all about survival and like you're just here to pilfer our land go the hell home like he's it's he's real i liked him a lot in it hmm and I agree with you, Jessica Ferguson was great. Uh, whispering aside, I think that um, the the battle that her character has as, her, you know, the, with between the position that she has in House Atreides as Paul's mother, the, she's not the wife of Oscar Isaacs. She's the, um, they call her something, lady in waiting or something. I can't remember. They don't, she's not like the queen, but she's close. Um, hmm. And she... Um, she does a really good job of balancing that role with the role that she has in whatever religion she's part of. I can't remember exactly what they called it. Again, these are things that I wish I would remember and would if I could hear what the hell was going on half the time. <laughs> um, so that like that to me was, was part of the, the problem. Duke, that's the title, Oscar Isaac. So she was, yeah, she wasn't like the wife of the Duke. She was like the the mistress or concubine. Or, I can't remember where someone called her something, but I couldn't figure out whether the title that they gave her was an insult, you know, as if they were calling her the Duke's whore, or if they were saying, no, that's technically what she is. She's not a wife. She's a, you know, lady in waiting or whatever. Hmm. Um, but yes, I agree. I, I thought she was good because she's like, she's, she's a mother and she's afraid for her son, but then she's got this duty that she has to, um, th this, um, the, the, like the revered mother Mohame, I think like there's all these different things that are playing inside of her head and she does a really good job uh, of doing that. It's one of those situations though. I think we've talked about this on the show. I know Steven brings it up from time to time where she doesn't look old enough to be Paul's mother. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, not that Oscar Isaac does either. Uh, just because, you know, and then you don't know, I mean, like, and technically they're probably old enough, but like they, she really doesn't look it. Now I'm, I might be wrong on this, but isn't part of the thing with the spice that they live longer as a result as well? So oh, I don't know that the I don't spice know. may very well be a way to work around that kind of thing. I thought the spice was fuel for interstellar travel. I thought that's what, that's why it was so important. Yes, th there is that, but I think one of the side effects is is longer life and like like how one of the side effects is that the eyes turn blue, for right. example. Right. 
Um, I'm not sure, but anyway, yeah, I liked, I liked her, I liked her stuff. Um, the, I, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about spice and the sand dunes, uh, and the mm. sandworms. Like the, I thought all of that, like any time that they did some cool desert stuff, I was on board, um, despite the soundtrack. Like I still felt like it was really well shot. It, you really felt immersed. I'm so glad that I'm sure there was some green screen work, but like most of it that you that you had outside shots i really felt like they were there like they were shooting a lot yeah. of it outside with real photography and stuff principal photography and i you you can feel the difference in the film and i hope we get more of that instead of a lot of these green screen films um but yeah i i, I like that i i i know that the sandworms are supposed to be fairly simplistic and they're just supposed to be humongous i can't say I can't say that I was on board with the, the sandworm design. There was a little no. bit at the end when it confronted Paul, which was to me, I was just like, is he alive just because the script says so? Like, I don't understand why he was <laughs> spared because he doesn't do anything. If he tried to use the voice or if he did something and the worm listened to him, then sure. But there's absolutely no indication as to why the worm just didn't eat him. So the thing that I, I picked up on in, in that scene was they gave a close up of the inside of the worm and you could see all the different muscles and it started to remind you of like the Sarlacc pit from Star Wars. And okay, I get to see yeah. a little bit more, but like up to that point, all you were seeing was basically like the sand would just fall down this giant hole and it would swallow everything. So it was so big that you didn't get any real detail, which I guess is, you know, if that's part of the threat, sure, I, I, I get it. Um, and, and they did a good job of like, you know, showing the worm coming in the sand and the waves. And I liked how the sandworm would vibrate the sand and it would start to like filter down into its mouth, almost like quicksand, you know, when it starts to vibrate mm. and everything becomes, um, people sink up to their knees and they can't go anywhere. Like that kind of stuff I thought was cool. But the final look of the worm, when you saw it, it's like, it just looks like a vacuum cleaner. Like it doesn't, it didn't really. Oh, I. I had worse than that. Um, I, my friend that I went to the cinema with said that she had heard uh, a different description for it before we went in. And, uh, and that was that it looked like a giant butthole. So <laughs> when it's there, stood right you know, with, with, it's uh, so true. <laughs> yeah, with Paul Atreides just stood there staring at it. All I think was, that's a giant butthole. Um, <laughs> that's all I thought. It's uh, like that scene in Community when they put up the flag <laughs> for the for the students. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, but one thing that was interesting though, I, I mean, to, to your point about just the design of it, I felt that they did it so much better in Tremors. I thought the worms and tremors, the graboids as they're called, I think that that was far better done on what was obviously a, a much lower budget, but again, slightly different scale because we are talking something that's a lot more massive and wouldn't be possible with animatronics in the way that they did with the size that they were doing in tremors. But uh, there's a really good YouTube video from the Corridor crew, and they do a, a big VFX artist react to bad and great cgi series on there and episode 66 that they did had robin luckham who is the global head of animation at dne uh, sorry at uh, deneg dneg so it's spelled and he uh you know he, he went through and described a lot of the stuff that they did and so for the muscles that you see in the worm itself that's actually based 
on the throat of a beatboxer. And so having a beatboxer do the kind of noises it was making, they were having the muscles based on that to try and match that noise, which is kind of interesting. That is really cool. And and I'll say, like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm saying that the CG in the film was bad because the CG in the film was spot on. There wasn't a moment where I went like, oh, that's a green mm. screen or oh, that's a kind of a wonky shot. It all looked pretty solid to me. And for me, it's yeah. more about the production design of the worm rather than the CG execution. Like, I, I didn't oh, question for a yeah. minute that that giant butthole was staring at Paul. Like, I just, I, <laughs> yeah, like I, I was there. Um, thankfully I didn't have that thought during the film. Otherwise, you know, although now if, if, and when I watch part two, that's all I'm going to be able to think. <laughs> it's just yep. like, you know, you're welcome. Yeah. Appreciate it. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, listeners. Um, but yeah, it just, it's, they did a good job on that, but I just, I feel like there just wasn't enough other things in the movie to really hook me in. I finished it because mm-hmm. I had already invested an hour into it. And I was like, well, I might as well watch it and talk about it on the show. But I was, I don't understand why everybody was losing their mind. Um, other than maybe just the feat of making the film was a respectable and very, you know, a lot of hard work went into it, but like, it's not, it's not knocking my socks off. Like I don't, I didn't walk out of that mm. feeling changed or excited or, you know, thrown into this. Um, I didn't even really feel that immersed in the world of Dune, right? No. Uh, Arrakis a little bit, but not the universe. The universe did not suck me in because I think they, they glazed over too much too quickly and and again it was hard to hear yeah and not only that i found it was hard to see i mean i'm i'm watching it in a very dark cinema and i found that like you'd have the desert scenes which were really dark like stupidly dark to the point that you're you're trying to focus so hard on seeing it and then they'll cut like just after your eyes have adjusted to a very bright interior setting and you are blinded because the contrast between that is is so great. And so you've, you're dealing with this massive visual change along with whispering voices, which are really quiet, and then this loud booming noise. And so when you're dealing with both the video and the audio at the same time, I found that really off-putting. And I know that partway through the film, I remember just looking at my watch to go, when will this end? Because my senses are being <laughs> upset. And the story just feels like it's dragging and it's it's taking too long on the points that it shouldn't and is skimming over the bits that it should focus on. That's a yeah, that's it. You got it yeah. right there in the head. That's exactly what it was. It was spending far too long on inconsequential stuff where nothing was going on. And then when important stuff would happen, it would be two minutes. That's it. And I, I've I cannot remember the last time I was in a cinema looking at my watch, just wondering when do I get to leave? That is, that was to me a bad sign. And my friend and I, we walked out and we're just like, honestly, not interested in a second one. It's one of those, if it's on, I might watch it, but I am, I don't feel compelled to go out of my way to watch it again. And, and similar to what you were saying, when you're not drawn into that world, like I don't feel any investment to it and I don't have the care for the characters to, to really want to see it. And, and the characters that you do care about, you know, to your earlier point, they're, they're gone anyway. So, right. You know, all we've got to look forward to is this big giant butthole. And I, I've got more important things in life <laughs> than to see that. 
Moving on to the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server shared with my personal Discord and access to the Barista Cut bonus audio sessions. Our bean counter this week is Smurf588. Thanks so much for the support on this episode. Patron count is at 26. If you'd like to be 27, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. What is your pick this week, my friend? It's something called the Great Bubble Barrier, which I, I came across. So n- normally, you know, traditionally I've usually been picking up sci-fi or some cool kind of stuff. But this is uh, something which I think you'll find quite interesting because I know you like things on renewable energy and and conservation, environmentalism stuff. And this is an elegantly innovative use of a bubble curtain. A bubble curtain is basically just a pipe laid on a riverbed or seabed with just bubbles coming up. And it's usually just to stop the flow of things into, say, a marina or something like that. Uh, But this is specifically a Dutch invention that builds upon it and it uses these bubbles to trap and redirect plastic trash in rivers before they reach the ocean. There's a use of it in a canal in Amsterdam at the moment, and the bubbles are basically at a diagonal in the river. And so all this trash will kind of move over to it and it will get scooped up into um, a thing just basically to pull all this trash out. And they found that in the test, they managed to catch 86% of the trash in, in the river. And what makes this even better is that it doesn't disturb boats, so they can still pass through. Fish and wildlife are unaffected. They have no problem getting through it either. And because we've got bubbles in water, it's also helping oxygenate the water, which prevents toxic algae growth. So um, having all these benefits, including it even absorbs the sound from boats, which limits disturbance for fish. There's so many positives to it. It's a really simple implementation, and the uh, the Dutch inventors who have kind of designed this whole scooping thing to to get this trash out are hoping to expand this globally. And I just I just think it's a really elegant idea, and anything that can help reduce the amount of plastic going into the ocean. I mean, you know, especially with all the other benefits it has, is well worth it. So uh, going to thegreatbubblebarrier.com be able to find out a load more there it's it's super interesting stuff we'll have the link of course in the show notes this looks fantastic like what a cool mm. implementation uh you wouldn't even know it was there visually if you weren't looking for it no you know like you just think well, i don't know the tide is coming in like i don't know like it, it just it doesn't look like it's out of place uh and when you talked about fish being able to avoid it or get through it no problem of course they can because like they have their own motor skills right and they're used to bubbles Mm. where a plastic bottle just kind of like goes wherever the water tells it to go right and if the bubbles say thou shall not pass (laughs) then they just (laughs) like it's it's really really cool is there any mention of of whether it's an expensive thing to put in i don't imagine it is i i haven't uh seen anything about that but given that it is just pipes just pumping air through 
Uh, I don't see why it would be. And then it's basically just because it's at a diagonal and all this trash is coming to the surface, there's basically just a scoop at the end that's just scooping it all up. It's basically just a container that it's going into. Right. And so they can just sort of take it all out. So the, it it's so it's almost so simple that it's almost kind of like it it, it, it shouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but it does quite effectively. And I think it's just the simplicity of it. Uh, is is what makes it so genius i haven't i'm surprised that we haven't heard about it before now you know like i kind of feel like know, this is something right? that would be all over the place but yeah I, I i saw it and i was i was just gobsmacked that this was the first time i was hearing it and and just why isn't it's not being used elsewhere and uh so they're, they're, they're obviously pushing now to to try and get more awareness to move this into other areas and i, I think this is a, a great thing and just the elegance of it is is beautiful you know, a lot of the green tech that we showcase on the Citadel Cafe is from like Denmark or Norway or Sweden. Like a lot of the the, the Northern European countries mm. seem to have like a lot of resources put towards this. And I mean, as two people that live in a province that's like 80% surrounded by water, uh, I feel like this would be welcome here. I'm not sure how many rivers Nova Scotia has. I probably should know that, but I'm sure that there are a lot of places where this could be very very well used what a cool what a cool link so how about yourself mine is a lot more fun less less socially responsible as a matter of fact <laughs> it's probably financially irresponsible um the lego <laughs> set back to the future time machine set 10 300 oh. is set to release april 1st 1872 pieces 220 dollars canadian so it's up there with most lego expert you know Mm -hmm. sets of this size it's not small it's 14 inches long five inches high and eight inches wide so like that's a that's a big model of the delorean from the back to the future films but what really sold it to me was the fact that uh not only does it have a light up flux capacitor with a little watch battery inside but they include all the pieces so that you can have it look like the lightning cable hook delorean from 1955 the mr fusion that comes back from 2015 or the hood mounted circuit board that they have to use in 1885 in back to the future three. So depending on which movie is your favorite, you can make it look like your favorite DeLorean, including like the red hubcaps, which I think are from the 55 one. They are. Yes. Yeah. And of course you get doc and, and Marty as, as minifigs. So like I, it is a beautiful, beautiful set. It, uh, it almost has, too few lego studs on the the actual model because it, it first it doesn't look like lego because it's so sleek and and so well well designed uh, but it does start to look a little bit more like lego once you put the hood mounted circuit board on there uh and and mess around some things but man like i it looks absolutely phenomenal i, I it's such a big nostalgia pull i mean i get it they they i'm the right demo <laughs> You know, you know, and I know you are, uh, but they, they nailed this. They, I mean, some of the, uh, the accessories that they've got there as well. So it's not just that you've got Mr. Fusion, it's that you have trash. They've got a can and a banana. So trash to put into Mr. Fusion, mm -hmm. which I think is a really nice touch. Uh, there's also the hoverboard as well. Mm -hmm. And also the casing of plutonium from the first film. And it looks like they've even got the number plate as well. The, the, that's the 2015 barcode style uh, number plate for, for the back of the vehicle. Um, in addition to the traditional outer time one from, from the 80s. 
yeah it's it's really good i mean when i was a kid i used to try and make the back to the future delorean and especially with the uh the blocks that were available at the time it was pretty limited to what you could do i mean obviously as a kid your imagination just fills in the blanks but this is all the detail there even down to the rotating wheels where they go horizontally for flight mode um it's it's a pretty stunning set does the time machine from the first back to the future have the big black exhaust things on the back yes yeah okay the the exhaust vents yeah absolutely that's that's been part of it sort of since the beginning there's a lot of uh, when it comes through time it's completely ice cold and you just get like this jet of uh, of all the oh yes okay i remember that now yeah 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 i mean you've got a big nuclear reactor there that it's got to <laughs> output and get rid of all that stuff uh, i'm also going to throw in another quick link called lighttailing.com like detailing but with light at the front uh, and it's a website for selling LED kits for Lego builds. Uh, everything from Iron Man to the Dark Knight Tumblr to Lego City builds. There's nothing yet for the time machine because, of course, the time machine isn't out yet. So unless you get like a review copy, you've not had your chance to put your hands on these. So there's no official LED set for this kit out. I would imagine one is coming. <laughs> and I, I might look heavily at that because there are... There are a few things about about lighting up Lego builds on on lighttailing.com where you're just kind of like, okay, wow. Like at first you think that's kind of frivolous. I don't know if I would do it. Maybe if I had to invest all this money into a big city build and I had multiple buildings and I wanted to do street lights, that would be cool. But no, uh, some of the individual builds like the Tumblr uh, or the Lego Vespa, like uh, which we've talked about in the show before, like that that kind of stuff, it looks sharp. Uh, so, um, if you're into Lego and you want to have some LEDs to light up your models on your shelves, then check out lighttailing.com. Again, link is going to be in the show notes. I, I do have a question and that is, have Lego stopped doing lighting? Cause I remember when I was growing up that they did actually bring out a lighting kit for stuff so that you could kind of implement these. And now that I'm seeing this and I'm seeing some of the, the pictures of some of the cityscapes, I remember. Uh, a friend of mine who had even more than I did, and he'd managed to do a really nice lit up city build. And the more I think about it, the more I think I've not seen that in a very, very long time. So is it something that Lego abandoned? I don't think they do, or if they do, it's probably branded, and at which point it's going to be twice as expensive. And now with LEDs being so cheap and so accessible and people having like home tinker kits and stuff, um, I think most people just kind of go to third party, you know, for that kind of stuff. Oh, so they're like, rather than investing in that themselves, they just leave it to another company yeah, to, to fill in those blanks. Exactly. Which is cool because I think it that creates a healthy ecosystem around Lego, you know, and mm. uh, I mean, I think some people might even buy a, a, a Lego set after they see what it looks like lit up. You know, like I think there might be, it might be an opportunity there too. But it's, it's almost like using shaders in Minecraft, really. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. It has that kind of effect. But yeah, it, it's super, super cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to when this is out. That wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that we talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. 
My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. You can check out my other podcast about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. Brand new snapshot came out this week. We got to talk about all kinds of stuff. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, and I'll point you towards twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I am streaming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at one o'clock Atlantic. That's UTC minus three hours. Alistair, where can people find you online? find everything about me over at alistairmcfly.com and if you like star trek you might even enjoy my star trek retrospective podcast which you can find at longrangesensors.com you've been listening to the citadel cafe where we are fast easy and cheap but you can only pick two